and they were never bitter. They never turned inward on God in a bad way. But um, God kept his hand on them and steered them through some very difficult times, which has been a life lesson not only to myself, but to many, many others that know them. And I'm so thankful for them that they labored for so many years in Cincinnati and built a wonderful church that we preached a number of revivals in years ago when we were evangelizing and had just some absolute amazing moves of God. And um, But uh, they have become bishop. They were elected bishop by their people, and they've turned that church over to Brother Joel Urshan and uh, they are preparing plans and, and all of the necessary things to build a 1,000-seat sanctuary in Cincinnati. And these folks sowed the seed for that to make that happen. They built the platform to make it happen. We welcome Brother and Sister Buller here tonight. Let's give them some appreciation tonight. I want to call your attention to the Word of God. And... Um, uh, we are have begun a series that I'm calling Our Purpose as a Church. And um, I did not bring my Bible study chart out here tonight because I'm not going in that particular direction tonight. And we'll talk about something else. But I'm not going to let you forget it. I'm still looking for somebody that is willing to engage someone else in a home Bible study. And I have not found that person yet. And... Uh, uh, somebody's going to have to rise up and make that happen. I'm looking for four or five people that'll do that. And um, if I don't hear from you pretty soon, I'm just going to come up and ask you to do it. It'd be better. It'd be better if you choose the the prior. So, um, but tonight I want to continue that series. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, "I say also unto thee, thou art Peter." Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this series that I'm teaching is about us discovering God's blueprint for building His church, which this is the driving motivation behind that. We don't want to just celebrate our conversion but we want to start celebrating the conversions of others. And that's why we're here. That's the point in us being here tonight. So, so far, we've talked about, uh, I'm giving you principles. And the first three on the first night was to do and teach. And that's why I talked to you about uh, teaching home Bible study. I talked to you about witness and wait and then to rise above and go beyond. Um, last week, I talked to you about apostolic agreement. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and so on. And then I mentioned to you in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the Bible said they were in one accord, it means to rush along or be in unison, to hurry along in unison, to hurry along in unison. The image is a musical one. A number of notes are sounded which, while different, harmonize in pitch and in tone. In addition to that, I mentioned to you that there are some 47 one another, everybody say one another, one another commandments, not options, not selections, but commandments in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you are in fellowship with other Christian people. 
This is why it doesn't work to stay at home and have church by yourself. You're in violation of the Scripture. Here's some examples. The Bible says to serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another, greet one another, bear one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, honor one another, teach one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, and the list goes on. These are things that you and I must, as a church, get our head around if we want to become the church that God wants us to be. We cannot pray, thy kingdom come, until we pray, my kingdom go. And where temptation has killed its thousands, disunity has killed its ten thousands. No one has ever left the church because they love God. And I can't stress that point enough. I will also mention to you in review tonight that God's reputation can be ruined by us if we're not careful. So there's three principles of unity that I talked to you about last Wednesday night. Unity does not depend on uniformity. Unity does not depend on uniformity, neither does unity depend on compromise. You don't have to water down, we don't have to water down our message so we can get unified. So it doesn't depend on uniformity, it doesn't depend on compromise. Unity depends on us. The will of God is subject to the will of man where the church is concerned. I also talked to you last Wednesday night about apostolic altar calls involving uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Tonight I wanted, I wanted really talk to you folks from my heart because you've allowed, some of us have allowed the devil to convince us that our real strengths are not our strengths, but actually they are our weaknesses. And I suppose the top two areas where the devil convinces us that we have no value nor purpose is number one in prayer and number two in the power of our testimony. Everybody say testimony. In Acts chapter 3, Peter said to the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived the people that saw the boldness of Peter and John in that Acts chapter 3 incident of raising the lame man up at the gate beautiful. They perceived them to be unlearned and ignorant. And they marveled because they knew that these men had been with Jesus. So I want you to hear the context of those verses as I want to present it tonight. Peter said to the lame man, silver and gold have I none. I'm not a rich man. And then the crowd perceived them in Acts chapter 4 to be unlearned and ignorant. So they were poor and ignorant according to public perception. But God used them to heal a lame man and turn their world upside down. The devil uses those same tactics on us because of what we've done in the past, because who our parents were, because of a failed marriage, because of bad kids. You can put anything in that blank you want to put. And he'll use all those things as leverage to tell us that our testimony 
is of no longer of any value to anybody. And as a matter of fact, there's really no point in even praying about it. And so we don't. Right? That is correct. Uh, Most of us do not. So I want you to notice, I want to rehearse the events just for a moment that happened in this story. You'll notice that Peter and John were on their way to the temple. There were two of them, and they were on their way to the temple to pray, and they were already unified. They were not bickering and arguing, and it had not been six months since they had a good praying through the Holy Ghost. So they began what is one of the most prolific apostolic miracles. They began, began that process by making it habitual for them to pray and to stay unified. And I believe it was important that I believe it's important that we understand that the crucifixion of Christ and all of the events surrounding that forced them into some posture of unity. If they were going to survive as a group, this is not the time to argue and bicker and fuss about all your differences. Let's take what we have in common, let's grab let's grab a hold of it and let's run with it. And God used that for their advantage. So when they approach the lame man in Acts chapter 3, he expects them to help him physically. He wants Peter and John to help him on a physical level. Give me some money, make me feel better in my physical form. This is why we launched March Kindness. To be a pathway to what we're doing now. To where... You have already discovered the beauty, I hope all of you have, the beauty and the relevance of helping people who are truly and sincerely in need. And when you want to approach them with help, they are expecting it on a physical level. So as you begin to minister to people in their physical needs, then the door for meeting their spiritual needs will open shortly after. It always does. We always attack spiritual first. And they put up a red flag and say, I don't want to talk to you. And we get the cart before the horse. This is an important miracle in the Bible for us to consider when you want to approach people and try to impact their life with the gospel. The third thing that I've noticed is that Peter and John were were willing to give what they had. They did not offer any pretense. They didn't offer superficiality. They didn't offer some hocus-pocus and mystic. They didn't try to share some theologic baloney. They didn't do any of that. They approached the man, and when he extended his hand or his beggar's cup, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. I don't have money to give you. But what I do have, I will give it to you freely. It's indicative of his true Christian spirit to look at the plight of a man who is helpless, hopeless, totally dependent on others, and said, I will give you what I have with all of my might. So the third, the fourth thing that I've noticed is that God's miraculous work in one man's life affects countless numbers of people 
around that person. So when you minister to a person, the impact it can have on that person's life can have a ripple effect to many, many others. So bottom line, what Peter did that day was took advantage of an opportunity to share a testimony. That's all he did, was he took advantage of an opportunity to share a testimony. You'll notice if you study the book of Acts that Paul shared his testimony throughout the book of Acts six times. And every time it was a little bit different depending on who he was talking to. He would take his testimony and tailor it to his audience. I hope everybody's listening. What I'm talking about tonight is not hard. And I don't know anybody in this building right now, in all due respect, that has a problem talking with anybody. Now, there are people here tonight that have far more words to say than others. But we all do get through the day talking to people. It is a fact that women talk twice as much as a man. That is a fact. The reason is because they're stay at, they were intended to be like stay-at-home moms and nurture their children. And so they would teach their children to talk. So they talk all the time teaching their children to talk. What I don't understand is where nature doesn't say once your child learns how to talk... We'll talk about that another time. <clears throat> but the Bible tells us that this man that had been laid at the gate beautiful had been crippled for four, more than 40 years. But Jesus didn't do anything. Listen to pastor. Jesus didn't do anything for this man until his disciples reached out to this man. And that's where we get mixed up on we want God to move in people's lives. And, and there are people that pray and you'll pray for people people for hours and, and, and days and weeks and months and it turns into years. There's people that I've prayed for for years and years and years. But oftentimes when you pray God move on that person, he gives you a burden for that person so you will go and start opening up communication with that person. And then he moves on them through you. So try to imagine with me tonight the amount of people that God wanted to impact and move on and whatever, but because we wouldn't say anything, nothing ever happened. God did not move. This man had laid at this gate for 40 years at the gate of the church, and no one ever opened their mouth toward this man that God could move through. So we can all talk. And we can all talk about Jesus. It's just a matter of doing it. So this encounter coupled with prayer brings more boldness to a per person's witness. So people have said through the years, well, I don't know how to pray. You know how you learn to pray? Pray. You practice. You pray. You want to learn to pray? Pray. How do you learn to witness to people? You practice. You witness to people. I'm not opposed to you practicing on your spouse. It might do them some good. You might witness to your spouse and get them in the altar Sunday morning, repenting of their sins. Who knows? Uh, but bottom line, folks, a personal testimony, a personal testimony is still the most persuasive means of communicating Jesus to people. It's unique. 
There are no others just like it. It's personal. It's easy to understand. You are the authority on it. No one can argue with you about it. People love a personal story and are far more uh, obliged to remember it. People can relate to a personal story, so it builds a relational bridge between you and the person you're talking to. And in a postmodern world, it is the most effective witness. So I want to take a moment. I shared this part of this Bible study with you several years ago. If you'll consider with me, and I, I don't expect that you'll write all this down, but it will be archived, and you can go back and listen to it, and I hope everybody would. If I could get ten people to do this. If I could get ten people to do this. Five people to teach a Bible study and just get ten people sharing their testimony. We'd pack this church out in six months. Oh, I'm sorry. Did my battery just die? And my mic, something happened. Uh, <clears throat> okay, there's four parts of your testimony. Listen to Pastor, and I'm going to be as quick as I can. You want to share with people, and this is what you spend the least amount of time on, is what your life was like before you met Jesus. Spend the least amount of time on that. You don't have to go into all the horror stories and all the horrible things and, that happened to you before you met Jesus. Just talk a little bit about it, but do it this way. You discuss with them what common circumstances would an unbeliever identify with. What does your testimony have in common with where the person you're talking to is living right now? You want to bridge that. You want to make that connection. What are your attitudes that an unbeliever would identify with? What was your attitude like before you met Jesus? And can you share that with them briefly? to get them to understand that they are in the same place you were before you met Jesus. And you're coming to Jesus, what was the most important to you? What was your priority in coming to Christ? Was it just strictly for salvation? Or did you want God to help you with your family, your marriage, help you with your job, you're at the end of your rope, uh, whatever it may be. I'll come to some of that a little bit later. What substitute for God? Did you use to find meaning in your life? Was it sports or fitness? Was it success at work? Was it marriage? Making money? Doing drugs and alcohol? Having fun? Entertainment? Hobbies? Whatever it was. So what was your life like before you met Jesus? And you share that briefly. Number two, where you want to spend a little more time, is what caused you to realize that you needed Jesus? What was it that caused you to realize that you needed Jesus? So what significant steps led up to your conversion? What needs, hurts, problems made you dissatisfied with the way you were living without God? How did God get your attention? What motivated you to turn to Jesus? So you spend a little more time on that point. The third thing you do is how I committed my life to Christ. And you want to spend even a little more time here. So what specifically did you do? To commit your life to Christ. What adjustments did you have to make? How difficult was it? I'll tell you one thing that is very difficult for unchurched people. When they start attending church. Is start paying their tithes. It's a lot of money. All of a sudden you're giving 10% of your paycheck to a church. And you've never done that before. Well you can help people. And talk to them about these kinds of things. You can discuss with them where it happened. And what did you say when you prayed? When you walked into the presence of God. Hang on a minute. I'm not talking about just raw center people off the street. I'm coming to something else in a minute. But when you came to Jesus, how did you pray? What did you say? 
Would you be willing to share that with someone else you're trying to impact with Jesus? What did you say when you came down to the altar or you knelt beside your bedside? When you said, God, I'm sorry for my sins and whatever. What did you say? And it helps people understand that this Jesus thing and this conversion thing is not difficult. It's not hard. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. The fourth thing you want to do, is, and this is where you want to spend the most time, is you want to talk about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. So what benefits have you experienced or felt since you came to Christ? You share these things. What problems in your lives have been resolved and try to give a current answer? How has Jesus helped you change for the better? How has Jesus helped you in your relationships? I know people here tonight. Your marriage was on the rocks when you came to Jesus. Your kids were headed down a very bad path when you came to Jesus. There's things you have in your life's experience as a part of your conversion that are so relevant to people today. Testimony is not dragging them through a Genesis through Revelation Bible study. That can be a part of it. But the most powerful thing you have is your testimony, and everybody has one. If you've been born again, everybody has a testimony. The reason we don't think we have one is because we've never put ourselves out there in a place where we've had to use it. We spend most of our lives with people that have already converted, so our testimony is not relevant around people who's already converted. But I'm asking you to step outside the box, to step out of it outside your shell. Uh, Sister Teresa uh, talked to me several couple of Sundays ago uh, about someone they met on vacation that is starving to death for a relationship with Jesus, was attracted to them because of just the beauty of holiness, literally, and uh, they've redirected uh, this person and their family uh, to another church in another state where they live. But, but she was ready. She didn't have to stop and scratch her head and think, oh my goodness, I haven't done this in years. Oh my word, what am I going to say? And, uh, oh, let me go pray about this for a minute. The door opened and they walked through it. The same thing also happened with Tanya and PJ's wife. Their kids are in the same classroom at school. They went on a field trip together several weeks ago, and they got to talking. And uh, PJ and his wife showed up a Sunday, the following Sunday, if I remember right. He prayed back through the Holy Ghost, come to find out he's got Pentecostal background and has been filled with the Holy Ghost and what have you, so he knew the environment here. He prayed through the Holy Ghost during song service. But this is the way it works. You just share things. And I don't know if they got into what Logos means in John chapter 1. And I don't know if they went through all the thing of, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, water baptism. No, they shared some testimony about the relevance of God in their life. And it worked. Was it that simple? Daniel, was it? I can't see with those. Okay. I don't mean to put you on. I just, I couldn't see with the, the lights and whatnot. Okay, now listen. So if you became a Christian as an adult... You can use the four things that I just mentioned to put your testimony together. It wouldn't hurt for you to write it down and practice it. Type it up on the computer. Read it. Read it once or twice a week. Just in case the door opens, you're ready. You can just, you're ready. You're, you're, you've got your finger on the trigger, so to speak. But if you became a Christian at an early age, for example, as a child or a teenager, 
but walked away. You, you walked away from God. You use the same four steps, but you start just prior to your recommitment. Don't share the testimony of when you got the Holy Ghost as a child or when you converted as a child, but share your experience when you came back as a backslider. You start there. Is everybody on board? All right. If you became a Christian at an early age, but you never strayed, you didn't go out in the world. I don't believe Sister Murphy and I did that. We converted. We both were born again when we were children. And we grew up in the church and stayed in the church. I mean, I don't have this big grisly testimony. Oh, man, I lived on the streets of New Orleans for 400 days and drank four bottle quarts of beer every day and all that. I don't have that kind of testimony. But I have a testimony. All right, so those of you that... I called myself the little choir boy. Uh, you don't have that testimony. But if you came to God at an early age and never strayed, use the same four steps, but point out some deep need or common problems that others struggle with and explain why you never had to experience that. I'll tell you what I've done. You folks know me. Uh, I've pastored here there too. And uh, I use my testimony all the time. I use personal experiences all the time. I do it from the pulpit. I know that better than anybody else. But I did learn when, from that bunch of hippies that prayed through in the first church back in the 70s not to go repeat that lifestyle. I took their word for it. They said there was nothing to marijuana and LSD and all that kind of stuff. I took their word for it. And I never had to go that route. But just because I didn't doesn't mean I don't have a testimony. There are some things that happened to me where God saved my life. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And those are the things that I use as my testimony. And I've shared them with you in the context of preaching and on many, many, many other occasions. So just because you don't have a big, long resume out in sin doesn't mean you don't have a testimony. Everybody that has been born again has a testimony. All right, so let me give you just a few suggestions for preparing your personal testimony. I'm serious about this tonight. I'm not just flapping my jaws here tonight going through a Bible study. I want somebody to start using your testimony. There's people here tonight, God has done some amazing things in your lives. And for you to keep it a secret from people who needs to hear it is wrong. I'll prove that to you in just a few minutes. I'll give you some suggestions for preparing. Pray and ask God to give you the right words, first and foremost. Listen, listen. When you share your testimony with people, keep it short and to the point and avoid excessive, unnecessary details. Well, you know, I remember my grandmother told me when she was three, back in 1904, they didn't even have a hospital. A doctor rode to their house in a horse and carriage. Do you realize how not relevant that is in our day and time? There's people in our, that live in our community that have never seen a horse and carriage. It's not relevant. Don't bring it up. It may be one of your most cherished, most sweetest, sentimental experiences and stories you've ever heard, but they don't care about it. So don't mention Okay. Does everybody get that point? I can repeat that again if you didn't get it. Uh, refer to experiences that most people have in common. Don't imply that all of your problems ended at conversion. Please don't do that. Spend the most time on the difference Christ has made in your life. Emphasize why you receive Christ and the benefits of doing it. 
Mention the benefit of being certain of your destiny when you die. Don't exaggerate or brag about pre-conversion sin. Oh, man, I murdered 48 people when I was out in the world. Don't do that. Don't make negative remarks about other religions. Oh, yeah, I visited so-and-so church down the street, but, boy, they, they were dead, dull, and boring. They couldn't do nothing for me, so I went to my church. You need to come to my church. Don't promote your church on the back of negative things about other churches. <clears throat> Don't quote a lot of Scripture either. It's, this is not a session for Bible quizzing. You quote two or three verses that will encourage people, inspire them, motivate them, and that's it. You're not to impress them with your theologianness. I love to make up words. That sounded pretty cool right there, theologianness. Um, don't ask, don't answer questions they didn't ask. Oh yeah, one more thing. Let me tell you what happened with this. Da, 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 da. Did they ask? No. Well, don't tell that part then. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. If you folks will do it, if y'all move on it, it works. The more specific you are, the more dynamic it will be. Avoid using dates, names, and ages. It doesn't matter to them. Well, let me see. I think it was on a Wednesday night, eight years ago, August the, was it the 7th or 8th? I don't, don't do that. Does everybody understand that? As a matter of fact, when you're not sharing your testimony, don't do that. It doesn't matter. Heard a fellow say the other day, man, I, I, something happened to me about 20 years ago. I remember it vividly. Was it on a Monday or Tuesday night? I, uh, speak casually, informally, but in a matter-of-fact tone. Don't dramatize or embellish your story. Don't share mystical experiences. Oh, I remember when I was coming to Jesus. Forty-two angels gathered around my bed, and they sang Silent Night in Hebrew. Don't do that. Don't talk down to people. Don't talk down to people. Don't diminish their relationship with Jesus. Don't sound preachy. It doesn't hurt to use humor. It reduces tension. That's why I'm using humor tonight, because I want you to come back Sunday. Uh, it reduces tension and relaxes people. It's okay to smile. Uh, choose a central theme for your testimony. So in your prior, the, the, the days and weeks prior to your conversion, if you were filled with worries and anxiety, you can relate to them how trusting in Jesus gave you inner peace. If you were struggling with guilt and shame, then you can describe to them how forgiveness and a fresh start helped you. If you had issues with anger or temper, you can talk about how trusting Jesus gave you patience and love. I'm still waiting for that to happen to me, but I'm not giving up on the patience thing. Um, if you had trouble with emptiness and lack of purpose, you can talk about how coming to Jesus gave you purpose. It gave you value. It gave meaning to your life. If you were grieving prior to coming to Christ, you can talk about how Christ gave you comfort and joy. If you were stressed out and burnt out, you get new energy and power when you come to Christ. And it goes on and on. You can pick a theme and it will help you Stay on track. Stay on focus. Um, if you need some help with this, if you'll see me, uh, I'll be happy to help you. Remember, you have more than one testimony. Surely God has done more than one thing in your life. Surely he has. 
So God allows us to have many experiences in our life so we can relate to others in similar situations that need the Lord. So different situations will require different testimonies and choose the testimony that best matches your listener. Realize you can tell about others' lives that's been changed by Christ as well, and I've done that on many occasions. Where I didn't feel like my testimony could work at this particular moment, I'd share the testimony of someone else I knew, and I would give that person's first name. Wouldn't give their last name, but I'd give their first name, and I said, I can, if you need me to, I can contact you with them about that. I've told the story of uh, Billy and Michelle's twin uh, uh, grandkids I don't know how many times. And I'll make it very clear. I know the couple. I've got their phone number in my phone. I can call them if you want me to, if you need verification for what I'm saying. So there's things you can do, even bringing other people's testimonies in. Listen to pastor, listen. The Bible doesn't ask you to share your faith. The Word of God asks you to share your hope. Faith is what you believe, but hope is the benefit of believing what you believe. And people need hope in our world today. So share with them your hope. So you'll notice this. When Jesus called his disciples, Matthew 4.19, according to the Living Bible, Jesus called out, he said, come follow me. And I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. King James is, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me is the key. It's hard to share your testimony when you yourself don't follow Jesus. I remember a man I worked with one time invited me to his church. I was pastor in our church. So their midweek Bible study was on a Thursday night. And uh, I told Sister Murphy, I'm going to go. I went, but he wasn't there. And he was all embarrassed the next morning. said, man, I went to church last night, and your pastor said, da-da-da, da-da-da, whatever. And he just turned all kinds of shades of red. He was just humiliated. He said, why didn't you tell me you were going? I said, why did I need to? So be careful when you invite folks to church that you're there. Huh? But if you want to impact people's lives with Jesus, it is imperative that you also are a follower. You're a disciple first, and then you become the fisherman. Following and fishing goes together. We are to be matchmakers, not salesmen. You're not selling them a vacuum cleaner. You're trying to introduce them to Jesus. And there's a big difference between the two. If I had more time, I'd go into more of this. But I want to, since Louisiana is the sportsman's paradise and hunting and fishing and all that's a big deal around here, I want to clarify tonight that the Bible calls us to be fishermen and not hunters. And I know a lot of folks, buddy, they get their 30-30 King James Version and they load that magazine and pop it in there and the first guy they see, boom, and they blow their brains out with Jesus. And you never see that person again. Hunting is aggressive Fishing is more gentle. Hunting is based on confrontation. Fishing is based on attraction. You throw a lure or bait in the water that the fish is attracted to. You don't hit them with the bait. 
You drop it in the water and let them swim to it and swallow it. Do I, is anybody confused on this point? In hunting, you go out there and you shoot the prey. In fishing, you get them to nibble on the bait. In hunting, you have the one-size-fits-all bullet. On out there with a the 30-odd six buddy, got so many grains of powder in it and the tip's made out of a... Landon, you could probably help me out right here pretty huge. Uh, and buddy, when I hit that buck, he's going down. And that's the point. You want to kill the thing and chop him up, put him in your freezer, and he ends up in your skillet, and you call pastor, and we come over and share in a good meal. <laughs> right? <laughs> it hadn't happened yet, but I'm going to keep on mentioning it until it does. So, In hunting, you take your best shot, and then it's over. Fishing, you keep casting it out there. Y'all get the symbolism? When you want to share your testimony, you're not on a hunting expedition, and you're not after a grizzly bear. You're after the soul of a man or a woman that needs Jesus in their life, and it's huge. In hunting, if you're not careful, you'll scare an animal away if you miss. With fishing, if you miss, you can throw it back in there. That idiot will try to bite on it again, and you're really men. I mean, he had a chance to run, but he didn't. I'm not calling center people idiots, but if you're good at fishing, you can reel them on. <laughs> You can reel them on in. So in hunting, the it must be a skilled shot. I mean, not just any old schmoke can go out in the woods and kill that 12-point buck. Takes a little skill to do that. But I watched Noah and Joseph when they were three and four years old reeling in a little brim that long in our backyard at, on our deck. So um, it's, it's important you understand strategy. It's important that you understand process when you're sharing your testimony with people. And one of the glorious things, I, I'm not a fisherman and not much of a hunter, but um, I do know with fishing, sometimes they're biting and sometimes they're not. And even I have experienced and have figured out when they're not biting, I'm just going back to the house. I'll go back out there another day. Them fish aren't going anywhere. They're in a pond. And they're not going to get up and walk out. The only fear I have is somebody else catching them before I get back. But I'll go back at another time of the day or when the weather's a little bit different and the, the different factors that goes along. And you might catch that big one, man, the, the prize. So you don't quit fishing for men when you don't reel one in the first time you cast out your bait. And the beauty of fishing is you don't always get to pick what you're fishing for either. You may go bass fishing, but you don't get to pick the bass. I don't know of anyone that's been able to do that. I ain't interested in anyone. I saw a picture of the one the other day that's in this pond. I don't know who took the picture. But, man, he's that long, and his mouth is that big around, and he weighs, you know, 1,400 pounds. And I just want that one. You don't get that option. You throw the bait out there, and if one bites and you really men, you're happy with what you get. Am I right? I mean, Landon, is that, I'm not stretching too bad, I don't think. So it's the way it works. So in conclusion tonight, there are three keys to spiritual fishing. Number one, identify your fishing pond. Other apostolic churches is not a fishing pond. Now, I'm going to have to be real careful here, but folks don't believe the truth like we believe it. I believe they're fair game. You can show them a more excellent way in the book of Acts. I don't say that with any ego, but I've done it. Uh, 
I mean, Paul met the disciples of John in Acts chapter 19 and uh, showed them a more excellent way. Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they, they were shown a more excellent way, and it's okay to enhance people's Bible knowledge. So you identify your pond, so you, you understand who you can witness to. So the average person probably wouldn't go to the governor's mansion and knock on the door and say, I'd like to see Governor Edwards, I want to witness to him. You have to identify your pond. And I, God has placed many, many people in the lives of our politicians to witness to them. Yes, he has. Okay. But you identify your pond. It might be the people you work with. might be your neighbors. might be friends, families. It could be backsliders. Backsliders need Jesus too. But identify your fishing pond. Number two, learn about the fish in your pond. I do think there's a difference in fishing for catfish and fishing for bass. I do think there's a difference. I think one you fish on the bottom, the other you fish kind of around the bank a little bit with the right kind of lures and whatever. Um, and remember, fish get hungry at different times. Sometimes they're more hungry in the morning. Sometimes they're more hungry late in the afternoon. You get the point. So my fishing pond, our fishing pond, according to the book of Acts, listen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for the New Testament church, it was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world. For Grace Church, it's the city of Central in what I call our tri-parish area. We reach out to East Baton Rouge. We reach out to Ascension and Livingston Parish and even beyond that, Feliciana's whatever. Uh, Louisiana, USA, every country. But for myself personally, it's my family, my relatives, my friends, and my acquaintances. So you can look at your pond on a church level and then also on a personal level, and you start zeroing in on people whose lives you want to impact with Jesus. Okay. It is impossible to build an apostolic church without your testimony. That is why God saved you. I said a little while ago and told you I was going to come back to it. For the spectacular things that God has done in all of our lives, for us to keep a secret, keep it a secret, it's wrong. You're not giving life to people like someone gave life to you. So for you to have an apostolic testimony and not share it, it's wrong. Acts chapter 4 verse 20 says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't help it. God has done things in our life and I have to share it with people when the door opens, when the opportunity arises. We have an obligation to do that. And everybody said, Amen. You don't have to be a theologian to share your testimony. You just need to be a Christian. Don't say you're one, be one. John chapter 9, verse 25, he answered and said, The blind man that Jesus healed, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. That's all the testimony you need. So what a sin to have a condemned man's pardon and not deliver it to him. So our purpose as a church, and I'm telling everybody here tonight, you want something to celebrate, go find you somebody to teach a home Bible study or find somebody and win them to God. You want to celebrate, buddy, that celebration. I was talking to the Bullers this afternoon and I'm done. I was talking to the Bullers this afternoon and, and just talking about old memories from back when we were in Ohio and that kind of thing. And I was reminded of several testimonies that I, was, that I, I, I shared uh, as an assistant pastor when we were in Chillicothe. 
And uh, I told you the one before, the man that I went to saw to see, and um, his front yard was scattered with Harley-Davidson motorcycles and parts and all that, and he came to the door in his greasy blue jeans and his old Army fatigue shirt that was all open, and his, you know all this was hanging out, and, and uh, his black greasy boots, and he had an earring in his ear that said, Party Naked. And there I stood in my navy blue Sansa belt slacks and my little blue Oxford shirt, and my little burgundy necktie, and he said, can I help you? And I just kind of bowed up right back and said, absolutely. Somebody asked me to come by and visit with you, pray with you. You're having some back issues. Make a long story short, I sat in his living room for two hours. Back in that day, we talked about VCRs that were new on the market. I listened to him talk about his Harley-Davidson motorcycles. He came to church the following Sunday, and God filled him up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's just sharing your life. With care and passion. We want a man to God that owned a sun tanning business. He was a professional, a physical therapist. Got in a horrible car accident. He was a physical trainer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, in St. Louis, obviously. We met him in Chillicothe. He opened up a sun tanning bed business. And I went for a tan. Why? I have no idea. But looking back, it was the will of God. Hallelujah. I met this man, walked back in one morning. I kind of, we became friends and just chatted, just a lot of chemistry. And I came in one morning. He was crying, tears running down his face. He had made a, a, a horrible mistake, uh, a, a moral mistake, and uh, invited him to church. And as a matter of fact, it was our last Sunday that we were in Chillicothe as assistant pastor. He came Sunday morning, repented of his sins, prayed through the Holy Ghost. And came back Sunday night, and we baptized him in Jesus' name. I saw him about three months later in Columbus. He went to another apostolic church in Columbus. He had always walked with a cane from his accident. He was real crippled, all bent over, had had multiple surgeries. He walked up to me straight like that, no, no cane, no nothing, smiling that wide. And he said, man, I'm so glad to see you. God healed me a couple of weeks ago in our church service. It's just sharing a testimony. Just sharing a testimony, loving people, caring about them. Folks, you have one. And if I could get 10 people here tonight to leave here determined, I'm going to go back and listen to this again. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to prepare my testimony. And there's about three people that I know right now that I can go after. And I'm going to go after them. If you'll do that, God will reward you and bless you. And you will have things to celebrate that you can't even imagine. Thank the Lord. So will you do it? Will somebody do it? Would one? Okay, see. Would you, anybody do it? <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pray about it. Melanie, I'm going to ask you as our prayer coordinator to remind the folks in Tuesday morning prayer to build your testimony. I'll be happy to help you sit down with it. I'm not an expert but I've done it a few times, and it works. Share your testimony, all you have to do. Stand with me tonight. You glad you came? Hey, we have a good crowd here tonight, by the way. Mine alive. Uh, I hope it's going well in the A Center with our young folks, and our kids' ministry are upstairs with Children's Church. But, boy, there's a good number of folks here. Man, if all of you came back Sunday, plus all the others that would come Sunday, we might have to get out some chairs. That'd be pretty cool right there, wouldn't it? Well, I thought it'd be pretty cool, but uh, anyway. So, but God bless you for being here. 
shake hands with one another. Greet the Bullers, if you folks don't mind. I esteem these people to the highest uh, as my mentors love them, and I would love for you to meet them and shake their hand if you've not already. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday.